things I wanted to mention. One is next Sunday, you can start bringing your clothes for the clothing exchange that will take place on October 22nd. If you bring them beginning next Sunday and not before that, that would be great. But bring them next Sunday and then we'll bring them uh, during the rest of that week and set them out. I'm sure that there's still room for volunteers. And so if you want to talk to June Reed about volunteering for the clothing exchange, that would be great. I also wanted to mention that we're going to have a fellowship this morning in between our two services. So there's no Bible class today, but there is a fellowship. And uh, I don't know who's going to bring goodies. You know, we kind of put out the call and said, bring whatever you want. And so if we have people who bring goodies and we have enough, great. If we don't, then I'm sure there'll be enough coffee and juice anyway. So we'll have a fellowship time in between. And then I wanted to lead us in prayer this morning for two people. Uh, One is Ramundo Asierda, who is the father of Ameldo Muhammad. And Imelda's uh, dad is in the hospital. Uh, he is, he's dying. He's not going to make it. Uh, they have um, they've determined that he has cancer throughout his body. Uh, it's a very sudden kind of thing. They didn't anticipate this. Uh, but he's, uh, he, like he literally has just days to live. And um, because he has dementia, uh, I think he had a hard time communicating what was going on uh, with his body. And so all of a sudden... This has come upon them just in the last week or so that they realize that he's uh, very quickly going to pass on. So we need to be praying for Imelda and her family. Um, And then we also need to be praying this morning for Barb Zorn. Uh, You know, Barb has had ongoing health issues for a considerable period of time. In the last few weeks here, she has been uh, really incapacitated, especially when it comes to walking. Like she's lost her balance. She's... uh, She's, of course, she's lost lots of weight. I don't know if you've seen Barb recently, but she, Barb has probably lost 40 pounds uh, just in the last few months. And, and they're having a hard time determining what exactly is going on with her. She was in the hospital for some tests, and, uh, and they, just, they haven't been able to figure out what's going on, so she's got more tests coming up. So I just want to lead us in prayer for, the, for Imelda and her family and also for Gary and Barb. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I do pray this morning for Imelda, for Shem. Uh, for Amelda's brothers and sisters and for uh, her mother. I just pray, God, that you would bless them all with your presence, with your comfort and peace. Uh, Father, for, to even communicate with Ramundo at this point is, uh, is really difficult. I think he might hear us, but, but he's not able to talk back. And Lord, uh, uh, he's clearly about to be taken by you. And so we go- pray, God, that you'd bless him as he inside has comfort and peace, thinking about his own salvation in you. And God, I just pray that you bless his family as they are around him and minister to him, be with the hospital staff and comfort him. Father, we're thankful for his life and his commitment and faith to you. Uh, and just please be with his loved ones uh, in light of his faith and comfort them with that truth. Father, we also pray this morning for Gary and Barb and especially for Barb as she's facing all the health issues that she's indeed uh, facing. The problem is we don't know what those are. Like uh, we know that that she has the potential for an aneurysm, but that doesn't explain all the other things that are going on with her, the weight loss and the loss of balance and uh, her uh, just inability to to function like she normally does. And, And so I'd pray special blessings on Barb. I'd pray, God, that you'd help those who are, uh, the medical profession who are, ministering to her that they would be able to track down exactly what's going on and uh, and find a, a remedy for that. And Father, I just pray that you'd be with Gary and Barb as they together uh, face this trouble in their lives. And I pray that you give them peace and 
and comfort. It's, uh, it's so unlike her to not be so active and doing all the things that she does. And I'm sure that's incredibly difficult for her. So I just pray you give her some peace about that and comfort, even as she is faced with, with not being able to do all the things she's been doing before. Lord, be with us through, through the rest of the morning. Help us to have a great morning in you. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. We are on a journey together, a journey of discipleship that we've started this fall. And there are certain elements to this journey. Jesus saying to us, come, follow me. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some things like this. The fact that our discipleship is grounded in the one that we follow. And we follow Jesus. And discipleship really begins and ends with him. We've been looking at the fact that discipleship means for us transformation. And if there isn't transformation taking place in our lives, that it's a good question to ask about whether or not discipleship is taking place because there needs to be movement forward. There needs to be growth. We've talked about how discipleship happens best in community and that we need each other. And I was sitting there watching you lead singing this morning, Jonathan, and I was thankful for the fact that God brought you here. I was thinking about your ministry and, and the fruitfulness that's going to come from that and just thinking about how it's nice to have my brother here leading singing for us this morning. Now, it's just a rich blessing. And, and, and that's being in Jesus together, really. It's, it's quite simple, the notion of community in Christ. And we have it, and I'm just so blessed by that. We need to be uh, constantly thanking God and exercising the options that we have for community in Him. We also, uh, as we saw last week with uh, Haikido, that uh, there's supposed to be lifelong growth and learning in Jesus. And there's all kinds of things that we can do in the body of Christ to continue our path of growth and to, to be centered on what it is that Jesus wants us to be centered on. Well, it might do us well. In fact, I can put those back up on the screen. It might do us well uh, for a moment for us to just reflect on those and just ask the question, are these happening in my life? Is this who I am? Is this going on for me? Like, is there transformation, for example, that's taking place? Am I Am I part of the, a community here? Am I sharing in that community and exercising that community? What does it mean for me to continue to grow in him and to have a lifelong pattern of growth? Is that part of who I am? And if it's not part of who I am, if these don't represent my life right now, then what am I going to do about that? Is there something that needs to happen in me that can change things so that I begin to be what God wants me to be? Well, this morning, I want to focus on... Uh, on something else related to the notion of discipleship, but not really one of these major points on our journey or anything like that. Instead, I want to focus on how sometimes we get waylaid in the course of discipleship. Sometimes we get shanghaied. Does anybody know what shanghaied is all about? Like, why is that word the word that they use to describe getting waylaid. Anybody know? Excellent. I have a chance to tell you something this morning that you didn't know. Here's the deal. Back in the late 1700s and 1800s, there were ships that were coming along the west coast of the United States. It happened some in England as well, but it happened especially on the west coast of the United States, and I'm, I'm guessing it happened in Vancouver too. And in San Francisco and in Portland and in Seattle, in fact, I was reading about how Portland itself was a major center for, for these Shanghais taking place. And what would happen is uh, working on a ship was so negative an experience that they couldn't keep crews on the ships. 
And so guys would sign up for a ship, and then they'd, they'd get on the ship in San Francisco, and they'd sail up the coast. And by the time they got to Portland, they're, they're ready to be done. Like they, you know, they're not, certainly gonna, not going to go all the way across the Pacific on the ship. So they were losing crews all the time to the point where they finally passed a law that said that you could not desert your crew. You had to stay on the ship. If you signed on, and if you received any pay then you had to stay on that ship and stay on its voyage until the journey was over, until you were released. So what would happen is a guy would, you know, these guys would go again from San Francisco to Portland or Seattle or whatever, and then they'd get off the ship and they'd be gone. And, and all of a sudden, the, the uh, captain's got no crew. And maybe he's got a cargo hold full of goods. He needs to get this out of here. And uh, he's got no crew. So they would Shanghai guys, that, you know, they'd go to a bar on a Friday night, grab some young man who's had too much to drink, hit him over the head, drag him down the street, put him on the ship. The next day he wakes up. They force him to sign a paper that says that he signs on on the ship. They give him a little bit of money for his pay, and they're off across the Pacific. And because of the law, there was nothing he could do except go to Shanghai. And so he had been Shanghaied. Well, sometimes I think this happens in our faith. Sometimes we're going along. It looks like things are okay. But then all of a sudden, in our journey with Jesus, we get shanghaied. We end up getting kidnapped, carried away into a place of less faithless, or more, less faithfulness, more faithlessness than what we were meant for when we started following Jesus. Now, I think that usually... The Shanghaiing of our faith is a little bit more subtle than somebody hitting you over the head, dragging you down the street and putting you on a ship. But there are ways, nonetheless, in which the deceiver, in which Satan himself goes about Shanghaiing our faith, and the biblical writers talk about just exactly this kind of thing. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. And maybe when somebody gets to a pew Bible, I didn't look that up. Somebody gets to a pew Bible on that page. If you want to yell out the number, that would be great. Thank you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, on about page 684. And I just want to read here for a sec. Look at this. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now that's a kind of a classic text for talking about how we get shanghaied by being concerned about the treasures of the world. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your whole body will be full of darkness, uh, if, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so there is this shanghaiing of our faith that can take place when our vision is distorted. Look further. No one can serve two masters. Either he, will take, uh, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, that's, again, kind of a classic way in which the world distorts our discipleship distracts us from being what God wants us to be. But if you continue down the page, we're not going to read all this text, but in in the NIV Bible, at that point, there is a section break here, kind of, and the heading says, do not worry. 
But isn't it it the case that worry is oftentimes the very thing that also distracts us? And we can be worried about all kinds of things. You can be worried about your kids. You can be worried about your job. You can be worried about your health. And all of a sudden, my time is wrapped up in all those things, which are good things, by the way, but I find myself dragged away from the very things that maybe I should be focusing on that will help me and enable me to be all that God wants me to be. And so right at the point where I need him most, I find myself not always looking to him because of the distractions that come my way. Well, look over at chapter 10. And just notice verse 37. Even this kind of thing, can be a distraction. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a pretty big challenge. I don't think Jesus wants us in any way to feel negative toward our mothers and fathers or children. I think the point is that sometimes the responsibility of being a disciple of Jesus demands of us big decisions. Life-changing decisions. Cross-carrying kinds of decisions. And we look at what Jesus is asking us to do, and for most of us, it seems like we can kind of get through without asking... Um, making big, big changes in life. We can just kind of carry on. You go to church on Sunday, you do the good things, you give your money, do a little bit of service, and everything is fine. And we don't have those big challenges necessarily that come our way and not necessarily big decisions that really rock our world. But with this last one especially, I think Jesus is saying, hey, even in the midst of big times even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of those times when it looks like you're going to have to really make a sacrifice for me, I'm expecting you to make the sacrifice. I really do want you to follow me, even at the darkest of times. Well, all of that, I think speaks to the notion that we can be distracted easily, sometimes by big things, sometimes by small things, but distractions come our way, and Jesus wants us to follow him despite the fact that we're tempted to be distracted. Now, I want you to keep your fingers right there in Matthew. Don't go anywhere. But I want to look at at least one other passage here that I think speaks directly to this. Look at this passage. You know this well. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, that's an interesting line. You know, when Hope, uh, when Hope was choosing the picture to put on the front of the bulletin this week, the first time that she picked one, she picked a picture, she put it on the front of the building, or on the bulletin, and I said to her, you know what? I don't like it. And the reason why is because that picture basically said, this world has nothing for me. Do not love the world. And on the surface, that sounded okay. I thought, well, the notion of this world has nothing for me sounds good. But that's a little bit troubling because I think that God created the world. 
There are some things in this world that I do have that are blessings to me. Again, I love my family. I love you guys. In fact, I love the sunshine when it beats down on me on a warm summer day. There's lots of good things that I enjoy here. And so there's some things about the world that I really do appreciate. So when John says, do not love the world or anything in the world, what exactly is he trying to say? I don't think he says, completely deny the world. It's of no value. God created it, but it has no good for us. Of course not. I think he means that he doesn't want us to get entirely wrapped up in the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Is that really true? If there are things in this world that I love, does that mean that the Father doesn't His love is not in me? Well, again, I think there's got to be some balance there. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And I think it's possible for us to enjoy some of the things in the world without being completely overcome by them. Have them end up ruling our lives as they so often do. And we need to have that kind of balance. In the end... The crucial point is to not not let ourselves be shanghaied. Again, faith doesn't need to be crushed just because there are some things in the world that we appreciate. And so we need to be careful. On on May 23rd, 1964, William McIntyre went to work in downtown Manhattan in New York. He was a prominent banker who had done very well for himself. This day was like any other day. Except that after he left the office, at the end of the day, William McIntyre was never seen again. The only clue as to what might have happened was that on McIntyre's desk the next day, they found a single sentence written on a piece of paper that he had apparently written before he went home for the day on the day before. And the sentence simply said, I am very very weary. I am very, very weary. And so the speculation is that this weary man probably went to the Brooklyn Bridge and jumped off. Because the things of the world had weighed him down. And I want to assert something about this notion this morning. I don't think that followers of Jesus generally give up their faith or waver at following Jesus because they prefer to be thieves or drug lords or dealers in stolen art or because they want to be human traffickers. And I don't think Christians typically say in their hearts, I want to be rich because I love money more than anything, along with the power and the fame and the control over others that I can have. I don't think these are the things that drag us away. Most of the time, I think following Jesus becomes less a priority for us because we are beaten down by the temptations that the world throws at us. We become weary of the daily battle of pursuing success, of fighting off worry, of being so concerned about our lives here that we have no room left for following Jesus with any kind of seriousness. And so I would say that rather than being tempted to become a bank robber, we are simply shanghaied by simply living life. 
I think it's these day-to-day things that end up getting us. Now, sometimes there's at least something that we can understand about this in terms of why this might be. There are young mothers sitting in the audience today who grieve because of diaper shock. There are mothers who grieve over dirty clothes shock or vomit shock or feeling like I live my life in a minivan kind of shock. Who has time to sit and contemplate the deep things of God when every three minutes there is an angry mob screaming at you, Mommy! Mommy! And that makes sense. We're overcome, not with the temptation for that mother to leave her family and become a madam in some large city. She's just overcome by life. She gets shanghaied by the fact that she can't see straight because she has no time. And of course, there are times when any of us could be faced with the worries of losing our jobs in this economy or even of something that we really need, like our automobiles breaking down. Sometimes we worry about family and our concerns are real. A parent who has a child in trouble, whether it's from poor grades in school or because they have no friends or because they're beginning to abuse alcohol, a parent like that is going to be worried. And it only makes sense that they're going to be distracted. I mean, you talk about distractions. How would you like to wake up one day to find that your son or daughter isn't home and the police call that morning and say, We have him or her in custody. It makes sense that we would be distracted. But the fact is that it's exactly those kinds of moments in life that God wants us to throw ourselves on him, not walk away. That's the moment when discipleship has to be at its strongest. That's the moment at which we need Jesus the most. And so I would say something like this. When life distracts us, just with everyday worries, it's time to come follow Jesus, not to walk away. But I think too many people make exactly the opposite choice. And when they do, they miss a promise like this one. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so often we choose the heavier of the yokes. Because when we choose the world's way, we are choosing the heavier of the yokes, not the lighter yoke. And God wants us to choose the light way. And so there are distractions that have come to us in everyday life. There's no doubt about it. But God chooses us in the midst of those to choose him first. Our world is constantly calling us away from him. But as we just sang about, he keeps calling us to be his disciples and follow him. I I told you to keep your fingers in Matthew. Look at Matthew 19. Go to Matthew chapter 19. And in verse 16, it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. 
And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this morning, I want to ask the question, why? Why is it so hard? And this is a, a pertinent question because from what I can tell, there isn't anybody in the room who, by the standards that Jesus is discussing, isn't rich. We're all the rich ones. We all have more, percentage-wise, than virtually anybody else in the world. There is no place on earth that you can live and have it better than we have it in Western Canada. Well, maybe if you live in Abu Dhabi or something, I suppose. But would you rather live there or here? And so we have so much. We're all rich. Is Jesus trying to say, you're never going to make it? And of course, that's not what he's trying to say. The problem is not that they're rich. It can't be. Abraham was rich. Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. David was a king with enormous wealth. And of course, his son had way more than that. And so riches don't seem to be the problem. God blesses people with riches. The problem is the distractions, the subtle distractions that constantly go with them. Riches and things and power and leisure pull us away. They subtly distract us. And before we know it, our spiritual interests and our concerns for following Jesus just aren't as strong or as interesting to us as they were before. We suddenly change. We suddenly get shanghaied. You know, being a West Coast boy for most of my life, I know a little bit about the ocean. Numerous times I've been on the beach, and there were warnings when I was on the beach about there being a riptide. But you know, all the times that I've been on the beach and all the times that I've seen signs that say, stay out of the water, there's a riptide, I've never seen one. And I've looked, like I've stood on the beach and I've looked and I thought, surely I'm going to be able to see this water moving in and out and all over the place and maybe carrying somebody away. But I've never seen it. And the reason why is because the ocean, when even in the midst of a riptide, does so with a certain subtlety. And what happens is that people begin to swim, not knowing that there's a riptide. They start to swim, and suddenly they notice that it's, uh, they're being pushed out. And so in a few moments, they might get a little bit worried. They're trying to swim against the riptide, and they're not making any progress. The shore is not getting closer. It's getting farther away, and they begin to panic. And they swim harder and harder and harder and harder. And you know what kills people in a riptide? It's not the fact that they float out to sea miles and miles. It's that they try so hard to get back to the beach, swimming directly toward the shore, that they exhaust themselves because they're not going to make it. And they can feel that panic. And they try and they try and they struggle. And pretty soon they're exhausted and they drown. And so they teach you when you're on the beach, there's only one thing that you can do against a riptide if there's no one there to 
pull you out. Instead of swimming back toward the beach, you have to swim parallel to the beach. Because the riptide is only so wide. And you, so you swim out of the riptide by going parallel to the shore. You swim sideways. But before you do that, you have to think about your situation. You have to be fairly calm. You have to be retrospect. You have to be realizing, oh no, I'm in a riptide. Calm down here. Relax. I can get out of this. What am I supposed to do in the middle of a riptide? Don't swim back to the shore. I'll exhaust myself and I'll drown. Instead, I'm simply going to go parallel to the beach, which is not an intuitive way to swim, but I'm going to go parallel to the beach and I'm going to actually swim out of the riptide. And the people who get caught in riptides and who remain calm and think about it and then take the appropriate action and swim sideways end up being saved. This morning, I want you to think about whether or not you might be caught in a riptide. It's probably pretty subtle. Couldn't stand on the beach and see it automatically. But when you are in the midst of it, and you look at the shore, all of a sudden you realize you're going further and further away from where you should be. And you didn't intend to get caught in it. You didn't know it was going to happen. But it does. Now what are you going to do? And I would say, don't panic. Relax a bit. But begin to swim. Begin to take the appropriate action that will take you out of something that is going to push you to your death if you don't take some action. God doesn't want us to be distracted by the world to the point where we, at the end, have no relationship with Him. And it starts subtly. We may not see it at first, but it's there. The question is, are we going to take the appropriate action? There are things that we can do. We know this. We can do some of the things that we have felt in the past have sometimes been beneficial, like we do need to read our Bibles. We do need to pray. We do need to spend time with other believers. We do need to worship with all of our hearts, with all of our voices and praise to Him. We need to recognize that God longs for us to be in Him, to stay in Him, to be constantly His followers. And we need to ask the question, can I give up everything at this moment for Jesus? And if the answer is yes... And if we're starting to do some of those things, then I think we're swimming sideways and down the shore and we're going to be out of the riptide and be in a position where we can then go and be exactly where God wants us to be. Followers of Jesus need to take that kind of course of action when we find ourselves distracted by all the things around us, whether they're good or bad. I hope you do. Let's pray. Lord, there are people that I'm worshiping with this morning who, if they are honest with themselves and try and assess their situation, might actually feel like they're in a subtle riptide of getting sucked in by the world. And so, Lord, I would pray that you would help them to take appropriate action. 
Help them to think. Help them to look to you. Help them to take the actions that will put them back in touch with who you are. And Father, help them first of all, preeminently, to just keep looking to your son and following Jesus when he calls. Help us be disciples who follow Jesus. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.